This is Roadmap to Executive Suite Podcast, a place where we talk about accelerating your careers and how to get to the C-suite, all tailored to the ambitious woman. We're here to have fun, feel empowered, and get actionable steps to get you closer to your dream job and salary, no matter where you are in your career. I'm your host, Claudia Miller, and I'm a career coach who helps ambitious women get the jobs they want, all while getting them up to $50,000 in salary increases. I've been featured in Forbes, MSNBC, and named one of the top 23 most innovative career coaches of 2020 by Business Insider. Welcome to the show, and let's get started. So welcome. Today we have Lisbeth. She has more than 20 years of experience in government, non-for-profit, and private sector working in the development of strategic planning, finances, coalition building, advocacy, policy, and legislation, conducting processes and analysis, as well as defining and implementing new strategies. Lisbeth brings strong written and verbal communication and leadership skills, is highly motivated, and can work well under time pressures to meet deadlines. Lisbeth holds an MBA from the University of Notre Dame, Mendoza College of Business, and she's currently the Chief Financial Officer at New Moms. I'm so happy to have you here, Lisbeth. Gracias. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to connect with you and chat a little bit. Hopefully, we're able to give a few couple of nuggets to our listeners. Yeah, we're actually both part of from Asset. So, you know, I know a few years back when I was going through the leadership, women's leadership program, that's how I think we met. And I've always was amazed by like everything that you've done. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even from that time, and now you've done even more amazing things. Mm-hmm. Now you're CFO at New Moms. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. No, I really appreciate that. And it's actually been quite the journey. So at the time, so when I did it, that was in the summer or spring of 2010. So I had, I think I started the program and during the program, I believe it's when I applied for the MBA program at a university Mm. and I got accepted and I literally finished the program and then started like a couple of weeks. It was sort of a great training ground for some, you know, future professional development So that was over 10 years ago. And at the time, I was doing government and community relations for the attorney general in the state of Illinois. I had been doing that for probably close to 10 years already. And I was looking to do something totally different. So I'm really glad that I did the program like ASE. I think those kinds of programs are very fundamental, Mm -hmm. professional growth. So having access to those and knowing that they exist is very valuable information. No, definitely. I agree. I feel like that's also not only a great venue for women to network with other amazing women, but also like that mentorship and understanding everyone's in a different journey in their point of life and careers. You know, that's why I started this podcast, because I wanted to highlight and give a platform to executive women out there to tell us a little bit more like how you got there and, you know, what are misconceptions that are not true and really empower other women, no matter where they are in their careers, to be able to kind of this become a mentor, but also a guide step and a roadmap on how they can move to the next level. And if they want to eventually to the executive suite. So this is something I'm always curious because there's so many misconceptions out there, but what are some common misconceptions about being a woman, especially in executive suite that you found it not to be true, or maybe you had some yourself. And once you got to the role, you're like, Oh, you know, I didn't know it was going to be like this. Or I really thought about that. And like, it's totally different now that I'm here in this role. 
Yeah, I, so I think one of those misconceptions is that we all fit perfectly in a box, you know, that all women are emotional or that executives are this way or that Latinas are that way. And I think that at the end of the day, like we as just humans, we don't fit perfectly into a box because we all have different things that shape our journey and our experiences. And so I think trying to like, we have these biases of what people are like, whether good or bad. I mean, they are biases and they come from own experiences, but I want to say that it is not our job to change those biases for others or to confirm them. I think that at the end of the day, we just have to be true to who we are. So I think some of the misconceptions of what an executive look like and how to get there. And if you follow this formula, at the end of the day, there is no specific formula to follow. We always have to be true to our journey. And I think that's, if we can sort of just understand that, we can sort of change some of those misconceptions Mm -hmm. of an executive, Latina, what a CFO looks like. Because at the end of the day, like, those are just statistics and not all statistics are true. And so we have to ask ourselves, like, do you want to be part of what everyone else thinks of when they think of an executive or, a, you know, in my case, a CFO? But I think just understanding that we are so unique and being embracing of the uniqueness that we all bring to the table. I'm so glad you brought that up because, I mean, I had my personal misconceptions. I'm five feet tall, by the way. And I remember reading an article that said, like, most executives are men. And then also executives are over six feet tall. I'm like, well, I guess I can never be an executive. And now I just, you know, started my own company and now I'm the CEO. But kind of to your point, I think that when we think about, or at least I do, and some of my friends do, when we think about executive women back then, it's, you know, you're wearing your red bottoms and you have to be very strong. And sometimes you might be perceived as very pushy and like, that's the leader. And now as I've grown up and met amazing women, even like yourself, it's, you know, that's not necessarily true. That may be something that they're trying to position maybe in TV shows and the media, but in real life, there are other amazing women who are not like that, that can still be, have that feminine side of it. And, you know, one of the reasons why I really look up to Sarah Blakely is because she's a self-made billionaire, but she does it with such a femininity and she doesn't take herself seriously. Like she can joke around and that's okay. So I'm glad that you brought that up, Lisbeth. Yeah. You know what? And we don't have to like, what does an executive look like? What do they look like? You know, what do they wear and what, uh, you know, path did it take to get there? Like at the end of the day, these might just be like what most, you know, statistics say that an executive has this kind of background, took these kinds of steps, went to college, didn't go to college, got a graduate degree, postgraduate degree or not. But, you know, if let's say that most of the executives that we see are men, who says you have to be a man? And if you are a woman, who says that you have to act like a man? You know, I think that we have to sort of like, again, it's about embracing who we are in our journey. And I just feel that the more flavor that we add to uh, to the C-suite level or to the table or to the conversation, the more engaging and exciting that it is. Because if we all thought the same or were the same or acted the same, it wouldn't be any fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask is, You've had such a great, impressive background. I mean, you've achieved so much. How did you? 
No, seriously. And, you know, I want to know, like, when did you decide, like, hey, I'm going to be CFO or, you know, I want to be working as a deputy bureau chief. Like, was there a point in time in your life that you're like, it came to you? Was it a mentor helping you guide you to this? Like, at least from what I've seen, or actually, maybe I can ask you, getting to like an executive high level position, do you think it's intentional or accidental? It might depend on the person's own personal story. I mean, some people might have it as, you know, as a mission in life and might achieve it very early on in their professional life. But for me, I don't know if if I decided or if kind of like life just decided for me. I've always known that I always wanted to grow and I would always sort of like think about like goals in life. But I honestly cannot say that even when I went to graduate school, when I went to earn my MBA from Notre Dame, I can't say that I had CFO on my list of goals. I knew that I wanted to do something that I enjoyed. And my biggest challenge, and so for anyone that's listening to us that is trying to figure out what to do, it's okay. I want to say that it's okay if it takes you a while to figure out, heck, I'm still trying to figure it out. Meaning that, you know, kind of life decided for me that I was going to be a CFO, but it all started with like recognizing that there was this burning desire or passion or this fire within me that I knew that I wanted to do something else. And part of that drive comes from not wanting to be complacent in life. One of my favorite greatest quotes comes from uh, Ron's tale, and it is the worst thing to have in life is wasted talent. And so if we know that there are certain things, skill sets, talents that we bring to the table, sometimes we don't know like how they're going to manifest themselves. But as long as we keep paying attention to that and we don't stop moving and working towards that, I think that's important now to, you know, like sort of circle back and fully answer your question. Like, how did I, did I decide this? Was it a goal? I did have a ton of help along the way. Like there, I had a ton of help along the way. And sometimes it's, you know, when somebody reaches out to us, we should answer the call. And so after I earned my MBA from Notre Dame, just when I was networking, I reached out to someone that was, or that is a fellow alum. And they literally picked up the call when I reached out to them. And at the end of that lunch, I had a job offer. (laughs) Um, So it was amazing things can happen when you reach out. And I think one of my personal fears is reaching out for help because I don't know what to say, how to say it, but it almost doesn't matter. And now that person that took my call and I had a conversation with was not only ended up being somebody that I worked for, but someone that I worked with, someone who has been a reference for me for my current position, Mm. also someone who is not just a mentor, but also a very good friend. She leads a non-for-profit. Her name is Tasha Kruzat. And I am eternally thankful for having met her because she really helped to change my professional career path. That sounds amazing. I feel like it's kind of becoming a theme now because I actually had another executive woman and same thing. She went out to lunch and at the end of it, she had a new job offer. And same thing is just, they worked previously in a company. So you never know who might you be crossing paths, whether it's through a program or school, education or work or through a mutual friend. And all of a sudden that might be the person that, like you said, might be referring you into your next executive role or putting you in contact. So 
building that network, even before you even need it, is very important. And um, without knowing that it's you know, networking so much, right? Sometimes it's just getting to know people because we all have a story to tell. We all have a great story. We all have a great journey of how we got to where we did, no matter where we are in life. So I think even just getting to know people, and that's one of the things I'll forever be thankful for at my work with the Attorney General's Office, is that I got to meet a lot of different people from a lot of various walks of life with different backgrounds and perspectives. And so I really learned to appreciate and value people and who they are because they all have an interesting story. So I think that a challenge for us, wherever we are, we're always, you know, we're always looking to aspire to grow and develop professionally. And there's a quote, and I'm sorry, I don't know who said this, but it's not the place that you got to, but how many people you brought with you. Mm. I'm not saying that everyone needs to get a, you know, mentees if you don't have the time to dedicate to them. Sometimes it's just a simple conversation. Sometimes it's one conversation that you had with someone, but they were able to take away a couple of good nuggets that will help them in their career. Other times it's meeting with somebody a little bit more regularly. And that mentor-mentee relationship, it is give and take because it's not just about taking, but also being able to give back. I have a couple of mentees and I mean, I learn from them and I think they motivate me and they inspire me. And so it is, you know, definitely something where it's not one-sided. I hope that I've been able to help them as well along the way. And I think their stories are yet to be told because some of these are really young women that are looking to develop into their professional careers. And actually one, I've been her buddy, her mentor, and I forget who's a mentor mentee sometimes. <laughs> Great dynamic girl. But I've known her since she was in high school and now she's gone on to college, graduated, got married, and you know, continued to develop into a young, strong, intelligent Latina. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's always like, you know, to your point, it's just connecting with people, you know, others may do it more networking, but the connection of it, like you never know. I mean, I think we might have briefly met, like I said, like when we were with Asset, but I know you made an impact and you probably didn't even know. And then here we are. <laughs> That's such a tremendous compliment. You know, and I hate to interrupt you, but you know what, sometimes we don't realize the impact that we have on someone and it could be very simple, you know, simple things or some people are observing us. And some of those people sometimes are our own friends, our own family, our nieces, our nephews, our younger siblings, our cousins, our neighbors, they're observing. And so hopefully that, you know, we're able to give people little nuggets or little bits of us that might be able to help them and, you know, down the line, develop either personally or professionally. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, you know, I want to ask you is, you know, we're all you know, ambitious professional women. And I was actually watching this video where it said that very smart, intelligent people tend to deal with like imposter syndrome. So like, are we good enough? Am I going to do it? And I, I'll admit, I come through that sometimes. I'm like, am I helping people? And then I get, I reach out to my clients or they reach out to me saying, Hey, Claudia, I just got a $45,000 salary increase, or I just get a new job. I'm, you know, working at Amazon or Salesforce. And you know, I make sure that I'm always keeping aware with trends and I'm able to help. But, you know, do you come across to that? And when you have those moments, like, how do you like deal with it or work around it? I actually think that if you're not having that moment, then you need to check yourself. I'm not even going to finish that sentence. Because <laughs> my age, but no, but in all seriousness, I think that we need to check ourselves. If we don't have that sort of imposters kind of syndrome that you talk about, which is a 
actually that, you know, am I doing this right? Am I good enough? Or is someone going to find out that I'm not really, you know, have the capabilities or the skill sets for this? But look, most people don't get to where they are just based on pure luck. Some do, but eventually the truth is unveiled. Eventually that mask does come off and there is no one, at least I can definitely speak for myself, that nobody is a bigger critic than my own self. So I think that that is also what keeps us humble and what keeps us hungry. So the day that you think you've mastered where you are in life, you better wait and you better hold on tight because there will be a situation that's going to humble you and it's going to make you realize that you are not all that as great as you are. But what's also important is that when you strip away that network, when you strip away those you know, some of these accomplishments, when you strip away somebody's title, like who are you at your core? Is it somebody that you're able to look at and respect yourself every day and when you get up in the morning and when you end your day? So I think that's really the fundamental things. But for me, it's about staying humble and staying hungry. And I know that there's so much growth for me to do. I mean, I am so thankful for for the opportunity that I have at New Moms to be the CFO but I take that responsibility very serious. And the day that I get comfortable with my position is the day that I need to check myself because I always want to stay humble and hungry. That's great. And kind of like to that point, so you never really thought about becoming CFO and then like the opportunity because of your networks came to you. How did you, you know, that learning curve, you know, other people would have said, or I feel like women tend to do this to themselves. They'll see a a job posting and they're like, well, I don't fit a hundred percent of that job posting. I can't apply. I only fit 80% while a man can look at the same job posting and say, "Mm, I think I can do everything. And they might only know 10% of that. But how did you like come across it? Like, all right, I need to learn like how to budget. And I'm sure probably maybe you'd learn some things through grad school, but tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, no, I think you're like 1000% spot on. And I would actually add one other layer to it is sometimes even within the Latino culture, we tend to do that to ourselves. And I probably did that to myself for way too long. Where I was like, well, you know, my work ethic is going to open opportunities. And yes, my work ethic opened opportunities, but I had to go knock on those doors. And so I think that's just a culture thing and we can't really change it. And Our Latino culture is not the only one that is like that. There's other cultures like that where aggressiveness maybe isn't quite one of those qualities that are looked at and, you know, smiled upon. They're a little frowned upon, you know, because there's this sense of always continuing to be humble. But I had sort of like the fundamentals when I went into graduate school. And the way that I got into graduate school was because of some of the work that I did with some not-for-profit organizations. So then that like sort of added another layer of my experience and my background. And my background has been in operations and strategy. And then I built on that with budgeting. When I was at the Bureau of Asset Management for Cook County, I mean, we were running and overseeing a $60 million operating budget in a $300 million capital plan. And so to be the deputy, so the second person in charge of that, like that gave me a lot of experience and uh, background into it. And so while I have had never been a CFO, no CFO or CEO or anybody else came into their position right out of college. So there's always a little bit of a growth 
like um, learning curve within it, but I did have the skill sets. And more than anything, it was just a really good fit at New Moms. We have a great mission. We have a great team that is headed by an amazing leader, like somebody that I am so eternally thankful to get to work with and for. So I think one of those things is knowing that we believe in ourselves. So because people see our skill sets and we might not because, and I think you alluded to this earlier about the, that imposter syndrome, we not like truly believe in ourselves, but we have to. And people wouldn't give us opportunities just for the sake of them because there's a lot at risk. And part of it is even that own person's reputation about who they brought on to the team. But one thing I knew, like even when I started at uh, Cook County, that I was not going to let down Tasha Cruzat or Kim Fox, who was the chief of staff at the time. And more than them, I also knew that I was not going to let myself down. But I'm very thankful for the opportunities. And I think that if I could just say that, you know, to anyone that is listening, that I think we need to believe in ourselves. And so it's interesting that sometimes others do and we question it and that shouldn't be the case. There shouldn't be that disconnect. Yeah. And I mean, like to that point too, is when you see a job posting out there, you're not supposed to fit hundred percent of that job posting. If you do, that means there's not a lot of opportunity for you to grow. My rule of thumb, you know, it's at least have 50, 60%. But honestly, I've applied to jobs where I thought I knew 30, 40%. And then when I started the job, I'm like, I really don't know much about it, but I'm going to learn. And then, you know, I ended up being successful in my roles. But again, it's about, you know, really having that faith in yourself. And, you know, one of my things is everything can be learned. If I don't know something, it could be learned. I can go on YouTube. I can, we live in the, age of information where you literally can Google and type anything and you can learn that skill, you know, that same day if you wanted to. So never like doubt yourself and then start looking at kind of like what you did, Lisbeth, you looked at your background and said, all right, I've managed, you know, a $60 million budget. And not only that, I did this through this nonprofit and I did this through my, you know, my graduation, I mean, your master's program. So it's like sometimes we have to create those opportunities or those learning opportunities for ourselves in order to get to that next level. And for you, it wasn't, you know, strategically done. It was just like you just followed your passion. You always wanted to continue to grow. And it seemed like everything, you know, was a perfect match for this current role that you're in as CFO. But if somebody's out there like who wants to be CFO, you know, every CFO has their first CFO job, just like every manager has always been a first time manager. There's mm-hmm. going to be that time where you're going to have to, you know, be that first time and look for your mentors and look at resources to help you really succeed in the future or in that role. And if you don't know something, just ask and reach out to people. Great. Yeah. So then, Lisbeth, I wanted to ask you, was mm-hmm. there a point in your career that changed it for you or did you arrive into this gradually? Kind of like you mentioned, like the CFO position. Yeah, so it's interesting because when I was in 2010, before I went to graduate school, I thought like, you know, I was doing government and community relations. And so I thought I would do that because it's what made sense. It's what I've done in the past. And so sort of, you know, kind of tying in the last conversation that we had about our skill sets and how we get to that first position. And so I kept looking for those kind of opportunities. And while I looked for them, I was never really jazzed by it. And then I went into... 
operations and strategy. And I was like, oh, I really like this. So then when I was looking to transition into a different role, I kept looking at operations and strategy kind of roles. But I found myself being really, really jazzed by like the numbers. I loved working with numbers and analyzing and doing the data to be able to make decisions. And that's how I kind of landed into my role the CFO is because I had the skill sets, but I also learned to be true to myself, to recognize the things that I enjoyed doing. And just because it's something that we've done in the past doesn't mean you have to keep doing it. You could always build on different skill sets that we have. So for me, it was actually being able to go to graduate school, which I understand it may not be the opportunity for some individuals. It was a good choice for me. And then taking on a challenging role that was very different. So going from government and community relations to being a deputy chief administrative officer. So it's like all the operations side of things. And then going into a very different role, which was in asset management, where now there's like these big budgets that we were working with, I mean, $300 million capital plan and $60 million operating budget. And then sort of shifting that into a very different space, which is into the chief financial officer. So I can definitely look back into my professional career and see where those pivots have happened. That's amazing. No, I'm so happy to have you here, Lisbeth. Well, thanks so much for sharing. You know, I hope listeners, you know, find a lot of value just like I did from having you here and sharing your insights, your experience, the amazing pivots, and then how you've kind of gone through your journey with your career and still doing amazing things. And I know this is just the beginning. So I look forward to seeing what you have to, you know, your future upcoming successes as well. Any last words that you'd like to say to some of our listeners that you think that may be helpful for them where, you know, they're looking to move and accelerate their careers? I would like to make three, and there's always like, you know, people that are going to give us great nuggets of wisdom. So here are my three. So one of them is to dare to drink. So life is going to set setbacks. So I would say, don't give yourself your own setbacks. Don't create those limitations for yourself. So dare to dream because that's the way you will be able to achieve. The second thing that I would say is, you know, to back it up, back that thing up. So find a goal, whatever your goal is and back into it. If it takes you 1000 or 1 million steps, it's okay, but just figure out what that goal is and figure out a plan and start working. And as long as you keep moving forward, that's all that really matters because at some point you will be able to get to that ultimate goal, whatever that is for yourself. And the third thing that I would say is that if there is a setback in your plan in life, because there's only certain things, you know, so many things that we can control, don't let that be a setback for yourself. Like setbacks could be permanent if you choose to let it be permanent, or it could just be a temporary thing. And maybe you just wind yourself up again, but always try to keep moving forward. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat with you. I feel like our time just flew by so quickly, (laughs) Uh, but I'm happy to connect with you any other time. My name is Lisbeth, and that's with a V, as in Viva. Thank you so very much. Thanks for coming, Lisbeth, and I'm so happy to have you. Gracias. Thanks for listening. And if you like this episode, you can go to our website, RoadmapToTheExecutiveSuite.com for show notes and sign up to get alerts. All new episodes will be posted every Thursday. Talk to you next week.